0: We had a really wonderful time this past Wednesday celebrating the way that God's Word has been speaking to people here at Linwood. Um, many of you were a part of that here in the in the sanctuary on Wednesday night, or maybe you joined us online, or maybe you're joining us online right now, um, and, and if you missed that and you've had any questions about this whole banding together thing that we've been talking about for the last few weeks, um, or you don't know... Um, what I'm talking about right now, uh, I would really encourage you to go out to our website, um, to our YouTube channel, or to our Facebook page and watch that and be encouraged as people, regular people, uh, not not me talking for an hour. It was hearing from different people that God has been speaking to them and the way that God has been speaking to them and the way that God has been blessing their time and their groups and so forth. So I really encourage you with that. Um, We also have our disciple maker training today. And so uh, if you're watching this online, you'd probably need to start getting dressed and heading over here, but that's at noon. If you're here in the sanctuary and you meant to register and you forgot, I'll split my sandwich with you. You can have uh, half of it and you can come and learn how to be a disciple maker. Um, And we would just love uh, for you to be a part of that we 'll have other trainings in the future as well um, but today we 're right now we 're going to be f- continuing our series titled say what and we 've been focusing on the message and the miracles of Christ as we see them in luke and acts and and um, and In that reading plan, we also have some Psalms sprinkled in there, and that's actually where we're going to end up today. Um, but, But we got this whole thing started off with this idea that the miracles in the message of Jesus often cause us to kind of do a double take and say, what? really? Like, did he really do that? Did he really say that? Does he really want me to say that? And that's kind of the second half of say what is that we have to say what God is doing in our lives and what God is is speaking to us. And that was what was so beautiful and powerful about Wednesday night was people saying what God had been saying to them. And giving glory and honor to him. So we started that off a couple of weeks ago with a message that was focused on on kind of laying out the plan for the year. And if you missed that uh, first Sunday and, and you haven't caught it online, I would really encourage you to go to the website, go to the podcast, um, find that message and listen to it because it really sets a, a course for, for Linwood and, and for everybody here uh, throughout the year. But we looked at this idea that disciples of Jesus Live under the authority of Jesus, that if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ and you have put him first in your life and you're learning to live your life as he would if he were you, and you've said that the most important thing in your life is to learn how to do what Jesus said to do, then you've brought yourself under his authority and we need to know what he said to do so we can do what he said to do. And that's where reading his word on a regular basis, engaging it, interacting with it, and then being in a small group of people that hold us accountable to that as well, and praying for others that don't know that yet comes in. And last week we looked at Luke 15, which is one of my favorite passages, favorite chapters in the whole Bible, and it tells the story of someone, something, something that was lost that gets found. It tells that story three different times, three different ways. And uh, this kind of curious statement is made each time or represented each time that there's more rejoicing in heaven over one lost sinner who repents than over 99 who never get lost in the first place. And you think, say, what? That That doesn't make sense, right? And yet, it's such an important truth that Jesus says it three times, illustrates it three times, and our bottom line last week was if you, want in on the res- if you want in on the rejoicing, get in on the rescuing, join the rescue party, and then you'll have much to rejoice, and as we go and make disciples uh, following him, that's our first call. But today, I was kind of planning to stay in Luke. In fact, last Sunday, I kind of alluded to Luke 19.10 as Jesus' sort of central purpose statement in the Gospel of Luke. And chapter 19's coming right up here on Tuesday. And so I thought, oh, that'd be great. Uh, you know, Jesus came to seek and save the lost. That was the primary message of Jesus. I have come to seek and save the lost. And so I was going to do that. And then I got to think, well, there's child dedications today. So maybe we should do Luke 18, 15 through 17. You know, let the children come to me. And, and on a weekly basis, Basis, we have people asking, "Hey, when are you going to open Kids Way up?" And so I thought, well, I could make a a nice transition there, and we could talk about that, and let everybody know, "Hey, we'll open it up just as soon as we possibly can." But none of us think it's a great idea to just throw open the doors and let the kids kind of run amok. Um, We we need adult volunteers who are who are called and who are aspired to to serve there on Sunday mornings. And, and we've got a phenomenal team on Wednesday nights that's here. So if you've got kids that are looking for a connection point, Wednesday nights is, is great. Sandy, Pastor Sandy has built a wonderful team, and they're dedicated, and they're here. We're just having trouble on Sunday morning. And we kind of thought that moving to two services was going to help a lot with that, like you could attend one, and you could serve in one. And we've we found that hasn't necessarily been the case, and we understand people are a little skittish about serving right now, and, and you know, COVID, and, and there's different things, and sometimes you just get out of the habit of doing something. And so I told my first service people, I was like, a lot of you come to the first service so you can go to Sunday school class in the second service maybe once a month you could skip Sunday school class or maybe your Sunday school class would say, you know, once a month we'll go stock up children's wing with volunteers and, and then they can figure it out the other three. And I want to tell you here in the 1030 service, maybe you could come at nine o'clock once or twice a month and then stay and serve at the 1030 hour. So that was kind of the thought process, one of the, the advantages, not the primary reason, but one of the advantages to go into two services. So I'm not going not gonna to preach that whole sermon. I'm not going to uh, lay that guilt trip, some of you would think. You know, I, I would rather trust the Spirit to move on people's hearts and trust you to respond in faith to that. And if you can help in kids' way, as soon as we got it kind of covered and got it stocked, we'll start opening additional classrooms, but we've got to have... We've got to have adults that are passionate about helping kids learn to trust and follow Jesus um, in there first. And so there were a lot of different things going around in my head. And I even thought, well, what about the widow's offering or Holy Week is coming up? Or, hey, let's not forget to preach about the resurrection every now and then. It's not just for Easter. It's good news every single day of our lives. And then in the midst of all that on Thursday morning, I read Psalm 4 and I shifted gears. I had started moving forward with this, the, the Luke 19 thing, and I shifted gears. As soon as I read Psalm 4, it was like God just said, this is it. This is, pay attention. And so in my journal, I wrote the entire thing out. I usually just do one or two verses. I filled two pages with thoughts and, and reflections, and those became the basis of this sermon because I felt like it spoke so powerfully into the current state of our culture And what's going on in our country and inside the church, in communities across our nation, and literally around the world. And it brought me personally insight and conviction, but also comfort and peace. And it allowed me to kind of take a deep breath and remember who's in charge. That God is sovereign. And so I've titled this message, The Pathway to Peace and i believe that psalm 4 even though it's not in luke and acts and even though it's not jesus speaking and these aren't red letters i believe it david sounds more like jesus in psalm 4 than he does a lot of other times and if you've read some of the psalms you know what i'm talking about when he's you know asking god specifically uh, and telling god how he's going to avenge david's enemies this one he sounds an awful lot like jesus he reminds me an awful lot like the Jesus that we read about in the New Testament and that we've been reading about in the book of Luke, if you're following along with that. And so I, I feel like there's insight here in a pathway to peace. Personally, first and foremost, that regardless of what's going on around you in the world around you and in your family or your workplace or, or our community or our nation, that there is a pathway to peace presented in in psalm chapter 4 and i think that if we could all get on that pathway to peace that it would transform our culture and it would transform our world and so i want to read it to you and then uh, we will walk back through it uh, verse by verse but here's what david writes in psalm four answer me when i call to you O my righteous god Give me relief from my distress. Be merciful to me and hear my prayer. How long, O men, will you turn my glory into shame? How long will you love delusions and seek false gods? Know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord will hear when I call to him. In your anger, do not sin. When you're on your beds, search your hearts and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and trust in the Lord. Many are asking, who can show us any good? Let the light of your face shine upon us, O Lord. You have filled my heart with greater joy than when their grain and new wine abound. I will lie down and sleep in peace. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. And so I would say if you're feeling a little anxious right now when you're watching the news or reading the newspaper or scrolling through social media, if you're concerned or you're worried at the things that you see taking place in our communities and in our nation and in our world, then I would say, first and foremost, I think that's somewhat understandable. I really do. I think it's understandable to be concerned at the things that we see taking place on a regular basis. But I also think that God's Word speaks into that. And God's Word has developed its timeless quality because it has spoken into every situation like this that the world has ever seen, those that we have in recorded history and those that we don't, and that this psalm provides us with timeless insight. And so I think it's somewhat understandable to feel concerned or worried or anxious, but I also think God's Word speaks into that and has a lot to say to us. And I was reminded of something that our district superintendent said in a message he sent out to pastors. He pointed out something that I hadn't really considered before, and he said, you know, in the last 12 months, billions and billions of dollars, maybe hundreds of billions of dollars were spent to make you angry and anxious and afraid and even hateful towards the other party so that you would vote against them, not necessarily for your guy. Some people didn't need much convincing. But those billions and billions of dollars were spent and they were fairly effective. And there is a level of anger and anxiety and hate that is pushing itself into our culture and pushing itself even into our churches. And we have to be reminded as followers of God that we have a choice. We don't have to follow along. We don't have to jump in and respond with the anger and the anxiety and the hatred that billions of dollars are being spent to make us feel. And David was feeling all of those things as well, and he models what to do with our anxieties and our anger really, really well in Psalm 4. So I want to walk through that verse by verse, and I hope that God will speak to you the way that he spoke to me. Because David don't miss this in verse 1, he starts out on the right foot. He starts out by going straight to God and seeking God's relief and God's mercy in the midst of his anger and his anxiety. He goes straight to God, not to social media, not to Facebook, not to Twitter. He goes straight to God, And last week we talked about God, and and the picture of God that is presented in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 as the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. David knew that before Paul wrote it to the church at Corinth, and David chose to go straight to God. And he's looking for relief, and he's looking for mercy in the right place. And I have to wonder sometimes, are we consistently looking for relief, looking for comfort in the right places? Are we finding it in the opinion section? Are we finding it on social media? Are we finding it in the political sphere? Or are we just numbing it, kind of putting our fingers in our ears and going, la, 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 I don't want to hear it, I don't want to see it, I don't want to know anything about it. Both extremes don't bring us closer to God. And David is going to God, and he is saying, I am going to seek you. God, answer me when I call to you give me relief from my distress, be merciful to me and hear me. And I think the lesson for us is to make sure that we're turning off the things that feed and increase our anger and our anxiety. And instead we're switching over and turning on the things that lead us towards love and hope and courage and peace. And after he addresses God, then he turns and he sort of addresses his opponents in verses two and three. He says, how long, O men, will you turn my glory into shame? And how long will you love delusions and seek false gods? He asks two questions in verse two of his opponents. And I want to explain when he says turn my glory into shame, it's not that he's talking about his own personal glory. It's easy to get that impression. And if you've got a new international version, you've got a footnote there that explains that that could also be translated How long will you dishonor my glorious one? How long will you dishonor my glorious one? He's talking about his God. And if you look at Psalm 3, which is right before this, Psalm 3 3, maybe you know that old hymn that says, You, O Lord, are a shield around me, you're my glory and the lifter of my head, you're my glory. He's talking about God when he's talking about his glory. And his first complaint, his first concern, his first issue is that they're dishonoring God, that his opponents are dishonoring God. It's not about his own glory. It's about what's happening and what they're doing with his God. And and that is bothering David a great deal, and he's asking this question. And then he asks, how long will you love delusions and seek false gods? Boy, is that not happening all around. Don't we see people loving delusions and seeking after false gods? And we see this all around our world, and we can see it even inside the church. Anything, and you might say, well, I don't know, false gods, I don't have a little statue on my mantle that I pray to, but There's other false gods. There's political ideologies that we can say, that's my God, and that's the thing that I will live and die for, and that's the thing that I serve above and beyond anything else. Or materialism, or uh, success, this altar of success that has been put up and that we sacrifice to on a regular basis, or power and control. These are all false gods that set themselves up, and if we're not careful, we can kind of be lured into putting our allegiance with them and making them first and foremost in in our lives. And then he switches gears in verse three, and he says, know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord will hear when I call to him. He's reminding himself that God hears him. It echoes back to verse one, when he asks him, answer me when I call to you, O my righteous God. Then in verse three, he sort of closes that loop. I know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself, and the Lord will hear me when I call to him. And in verse 4 and 5, which is right in the middle of this psalm, I really think is the central passage in this psalm, and it's what really got my attention, kind of leapt off the page to me, when he says, in your anger do not sin. I think he's talking to himself, and I think he's talking to, to those that are with him, those that are, are believers, those that are, are on the same side as David. In your anger do not sin. When you're on your bed, search your heart and be silent. And this is powerful and timely advice because there's a lot of anger in the world and there's a lot of sin that's following that anger around and it's interesting to note that anger itself is not a sin it says it right here in your anger do not sin doesn't say don't be angry and Paul says something similar in Ephesians he says be angry but do not sin like there are some things that should make us angry but they should never make us sin there are some things that should bother us and create a, what we might call a holy discontent in us, where we're angry that injustice is taking place. We're angry about oppression. We're angry about dishonesty. It's okay to be angry about those things, but it's not okay to sin in that anger. It's not a license. And too many people say, well, I'm angry, and I've had enough, and now you're going to get yours, or now you're going to get mine, or now you're going to get Whatever. And instead, David tells us what to do. He said, when you're on your beds and you can't sleep because you're so upset, search your heart and be silent. Don't you just wish some people would just be silent, (laughs) right? And I got to look in the mirror, and sometimes I think God's Word is saying, you know what, Mark? Search your heart and be silent. Look inside. Do a little introspection and shut up. (laughs) You don't have anything positive to contribute? Be quiet. What did mom used to say? If you don't have something nice to say, don't say anything at all. We're to search our hearts and be silent. To choose introspection and silence over the externalizing of everything, blaming, blaming the victim, and getting more and more angry or inciting more and more anger from the other side. You see, we're to worship and trust God. That's what it says next. Offer right sacrifices and trust in the Lord. We do that. We worship, we trust God rather than seeking revenge rather than taking the offensive. And that led me to the bottom line for this whole message that the pathway to peace is paved with prayer. The pathway to peace is paved with prayer. It's not accomplished with violence. You know, I, I had this thought in the first service. Have you ever heard of the Pax Romana? You're familiar with that phrase? You see, during the Roman civilization, they had the phrase the Pax Romana and Pax is the Latin word for peace and Romana was for Roman. So it was the Roman peace. You know what the Roman peace was? Kill everybody that doesn't do what you want them to do and you'll have peace. And if you got the biggest army and you got the greatest military strength, you can accomplish peace. You can accomplish Pax Romana. Is that the way that Jesus presents winning the world and bringing peace to the world? Is it subjugation? Is it murdering everybody that disagrees with you and you'll have peace? No, in fact, Paul says we don't wage war as the the world wages war. We have different weapons. We have different ways of fighting, and they're spiritual, and they involve worship, and they involve trust, and they involve giving, and serving, and repentance. And so when he says in verse 5, offer right sacrifices, I think there's a couple things there. I think he's Speaking about the the law prescribed sacrifice. He's saying, give the right sacrifices. And there's a couple reasons we might not. And I think the first is that sometimes we allow frustration with God and the way things are going to separate us from God. And we don't feel like going and singing and being in church. And and we don't feel like giving to the church and giving to the missions uh, and doing those things. And so we stop and it creates further distance from God. Because one of the issues, I think, with the Western church is that for so long, we have equated God with life. So when life is good, God is good. Let's praise Him, sing His praises. And when life turns for the worse and things get difficult, we think God is bad because life is bad. And that's not the case. God is completely good all the time, whether life is good or not. And God, through Christ, has secured for us a perfect, wonderful eternity So the next 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, there's some young people, 80, 90 years of your life are the tiniest little sliver of the eternity that God has made good for you in Jesus Christ. So do you want to focus on the sliver and decide that God is bad because this part of the sliver is bad, or do you want to see that God has made eternity very, very good for us in Jesus Christ, and we put our hope and our faith and our trust in that. We trust in the Lord really and truly and deeply, not just occasionally or partially or superficially, We trust in God when things are good and we trust in God when things are bad. We give praise to God when things are good and we give praise to God when things are bad. And and so that is the heart of this, that the pathway to peace is paved with prayer. It's it's this deep inner relationship that we have with God through Christ. And so as he kind of turns the corner here with verse 6, 7, and 8, I think he's addressing everyone. I think he's addressing both his opponents and those who are sort of in his camp and he might consider allies. And he says... Many are asking, who can show us any good? And the New International Version, the 2010 version, we read the 84 here because that's what's in the pews and that's what's in my preaching Bible. The, the 2010 version asked the question, many are saying, who will bring us prosperity? And I was reading this in the NIV that said, who will bring us prosperity? And I thought, boy, don't we hear that a lot? Don't we hear both sides? who's going to bring me prosperity? Who's going to secure my prosperity? Who's going to make sure that I can prosper? Like, that's the most important thing, is our worldly definition of prosperity. And so, whether you think there's a political solution to that, or whether you've got your eyes focused on the economy and economic prosperity, or whether you're more concerned with success and power and being in control… There are all these worldly definitions of prosperity that are fit up with this question that who's going to show us any good? Who's going to show me good? Who's going to show me prosperity? Who's going to secure my prosperity? And I think David's saying, don't look to them. Don't trust them for security. Instead, in the second half of verse 6, let the light of your face shine upon us, O Lord. That's where we look for prosperity, and that's how we learn to define prosperity is in the eyes of our Heavenly Father and letting Him look on us and let the light of His face shine upon us. We look to the Lord, we seek His face. And we learn to redefine success and prosperity and power with what we see in the person of Jesus Christ. And so we, we learn to define those with holiness and fruitfulness and contentment and self-control, and these other fruit of the Spirit. You see, Proverbs sixteen thirty-two says, He who is slow to anger is better and more honorable than a mighty soldier, and he who rules and controls his own spirit than he who captures a city. Or more simply stated, Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, 6, Godliness with contentment is great gain. And if we can pursue godliness and be content with our lot in life. There is great gain in that. It doesn't say a fat bank account, and a healthy bottom line, power and control, and your political party having what you want is great gain. He says godliness with contentment. And all that other stuff is out of my control, but godliness and contentment are much more in my control than those other things. And so... Verses 6 and 7, you've filled my heart with greater joy, in verse 7, than when new grain, when their grain and new wine abound. He's basically saying, Lord, even they're so happy when their barns are full, and they've got new grain and new wine, and they've got abundance, but you've given me greater joy than they have when the hot tide is in. You've given me greater joy, and I find that in you than all these material blessings. And I believe he's saying that we should desire nothing more than his fellowship, than God's fellowship and favor. That's what we seek more than anything else. And that we would take greater joy in God and who he is than simply in his blessings and gifts. And when all of that takes place, when the first seven verses are in order and we've done all of those things and we've brought ourselves in line with God's will in that way, then verse 8 will be true for us. I will lie down and sleep in peace for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety and we recognize that God himself is the provider of ultimate and eternal safety and security. That, that he has a peace that passes understanding. That he has a peace that this world cannot offer. That's what he said when he came back to the disciples in John's gospel. He said, a peace I give to you. Not as the world gives peace. But he has a peace that, that we don't find apart from him and it is ultimate, and it is eternal. And we can be reminded that we are safe and secure in the strong and unshakable kingdom of God, which is never in trouble. God brought that forcefully back to mind this week. Do you realize that if you are a resident of the kingdom of God, it's not in trouble? God is not up in heaven wringing his hands trying to decide what we're going to do in light of current events. His kingdom is not in trouble. And if you are a resident, if you are a citizen, if you are a warrior in his kingdom, then you are safe and secure in his strong and unshakable kingdom. And you don't fight the way the world fights. You fight the spiritual battle. And the pathway to peace is paved with prayer. And that phrase, pathway to peace, comes from a really famous prayer that maybe you've heard of. It's the serenity prayer. It was on the seats when you came in. There should have been one for everybody. There might be a few extra. We might have run out because there were a lot taken in the first service, and so if you don't get one or you're watching online and you want one, we have one for you. You can just ask for it. We'll we'll send it to you digitally, or we'll send you a, a paper copy of it, and we print some more off and have them next week. But It's a really, really powerful prayer, and most people are really familiar with the first couple of lines, and I've talked about this before, but this prayer has been so fruitful in my life, and has brought me so much peace peace, over the last several years as I've really dove into it, and I've written it out when I'm feeling anxious, and I've written it out when I'm getting off track. And most people are pretty familiar with the first three lines, God grant us serenity, to accept the things that we cannot change, the courage to change the things we should, and the wisdom to know the difference. That's kind of the, the real common version of it. The original version is what's printed on the cards, and it's what's on the screen behind me, because there's a few key differences. When this was originally written by Reinhold Neuber, he, he wrote it out this way. He said, God, give us grace to accept with serenity, seeking grace first and foremost, the grace to accept with serenity the things that cannot be changed, the courage to change the things which should be changed. Not everything that we can change is something that we should change. The courage to change the things which should be changed and the wisdom to distinguish one from the other. And those three together, those three statements, those three phrases, those three requests Do more to bring peace into our hearts. Because we're asking God, if this is something that I'm supposed to accept because I'm not going to be able to change it, Lord, give me the grace to accept that with serenity, with peace and calm and tranquility. And if it's something that I'm supposed to change, even if I don't want to, but I should change, then give me the courage to make that change. But ultimately, Lord, give me the wisdom, give me the biblical wisdom through your spirit to distinguish one from the other. And then you get the second half of this beautiful prayer, which isn't as popular, unfortunately, and which I really want you to have in your, in your hands. And I want you to write it out when you're feeling anxious, because he says, living one day at a time, not a year at a time, not a decade at a time, not a lifetime at a time, living one day at a time. Give us this day our daily bread, Jesus said. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time. Every moment can be a moment that we can enjoy because it's a moment that God can be with us and that we can be worshiping and praising him, which is what we were created to do. Accepting hardship as a pathway to peace, that that oftentimes it is hardship that brings us greater peace than success or abundance or those other things. Taking as Jesus did, this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it. Like Jesus took this sinful world as it was, not as he would have it. We see that over and over through the Gospels. He was willing to die as a result of this sinful world as it is, not as he would have it. Trusting that you, God, will make all things right if I surrender to your will. That I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever in the next. See, if we're not careful, we turn that last phrase, that last prayer into, Lord, make me supremely happy in this life, period. I'm not too concerned with the next. And yet the good news of the gospel is that he's taking care of eternity. And he even promises, promises his disciples, those closest to him, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. Take heart. This world is not all there is. Take heart. The latest current events shouldn't rock our boat so strongly that we lose our peace. Instead, We can be reasonably happy in this life because He's with us and supremely happy with Him forever in the next. Yes, the pathway to peace is paved with prayer. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are thankful for Your Word, and we are thankful for Your presence in our lives. We're thankful for Your Holy Spirit. The many gifts that You have given us, first and foremost, is Your presence your presence in our lives, your presence in our darkest days. And so we ask you, God, to remind us frequently that the pathway to peace is paved with prayer, that peace is truly found in your presence. And if we're seeking a peace apart from you, or even a peace that has set itself up against you, we ask your Holy Spirit to convict us. Bring us back to you. Bring us back into your perfect peace. For your word assures us that you will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is stayed on you, her whose mind is stayed on you, because we trust in you. And so we say, Lord, we trust in you. And if there's someone here today that has never trusted you, that has never known the peace that passes understanding, that has never accepted the gift of salvation and come into a personal relationship with you. And they've been going through life kind of trying to figure it out there on their own or making other allegiances or alliances with the ways of this world. And they're hearing for the first time that there is a peace that goes way beyond that, that's available to them in the person of Jesus Christ. And I pray right now, Lord, that they would open their heart to that. That they would open their hands and say, Lord, I confess. I am a sinner. I have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God just like everybody else. And that the wages of those sin is death. That that's what I've earned with that sin. I've separated myself from you. I've separated myself from your will for my life. And yet there is a gift of grace. Grace that's available to me through the person of Jesus Christ that he paid the penalty for my sin and that I can confess and I can ask him to come into my life and, and I can be changed. I can be transformed from the inside out. I can be different tomorrow because of this moment right now. And so whether that's someone in the room or that's someone listening online or that's someone days or weeks or years from now in the future listening to this, I pray, God, that your spirit would move in power. And for the rest of us, Lord, for those who call ourselves your children, God, help us to seek the peace that comes through you and you alone. And to be ambassadors of that peace and that hope that we have in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.